Tools Day is the show for you if you're a web developer and like to hear what's new. Today we've got a very special guest to talk about making art with code and his many side projects. So welcome to the show. Welcome to Tools Day, a podcast about tech tools, tips, and tricks every other Tuesday at 2. I'm your co-host, Yuna. And I'm Chris. And today we're talking about generative, generative art. Generative art. <laughs> generative art. <laughs> Who is that voice we hear? It's our guest on today's show, Tim Holman. Tim, say hi. Hey, two-time all-star. Yes. <laughs> so it's our annual Tim Holman um, bonanza show. Which bonanza I, wow yeah, the tim holman bonanza <laughs> i'm so excited um to talk to him about his side project generative artistry and about uh, he's done like so much work in making art out of code and it's just super super interesting last time he was on the show he talked about headless chrome which was i guess a bit more um worky practical almost serious, <laughs> almost serious. but this stuff is just super cool <laughs> This stuff is super, super cool. Um, Tim actually works with me now at Bustle, which is awesome. It's been so much fun. Um, so I can't wait to sort of uh, dig into the, his side project and just like, I didn't want to say dig into his brain, but that's the first thing I thought. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? I think that's a common phrase, you know, dig it's, into someone's brain. No, that's not if the If you're word, a zombie. Um. <laughs> There's a phrase, but that's like, it's like just off by one error in that statement dig into his brain dig into a topic Nitpick? dig into a topic maybe like pick his brain that's it ah, okay <laughs> yeah english <laughs> is my second language fun fact okay so before we get into it i do want to say thank you to our show's sponsor for this show it is datadog datadog is a software as a service based platform monitoring system that provides dev and ops teams with a unified view of all of their systems, apps, and services. You'll be a part of thousands of organizations who already rely on Datadog to collect, visualize, and alert them of abnormalities. There are over 200 turnkey integrations, including AWS, Postgres, Kubernetes, and Slack, all done out of the box with custom metrics to gain full stack observability with a unified view of all of your systems, apps, and services. Other key features include real-time visibility from customizable dashboards, algorithmic alerts, uh, like anomaly detection, outlier detection, forecasting alerts, end-to-end request tracing to visualize application performance, and real-time collaboration. Datadog is offering listeners a free trial, and as an added bonus for signing up and for creating a dashboard, they'll send you a free t-shirt with a dog on it. So start a free trial today at datadog.com slash toolsday. That's D-A-T-A. DOG.com slash T O O L S D A Y to get your free dashboard and your free t shirt. Again, that's datadog.com slash tools day. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, I first asked him to be on the show after seeing this new project that he's been putting out, and it's called Generative Artistry. It's generativeartistry.com. It's just a lot of like things to pronunciate there (laughs) 
But um, it's essentially like a tutorial of how to make generative art on the web with Canvas. That's it. So before we go that far, what is generative art? All right. Tim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I feel like a lot of engineers get into generative art. It appeals, uh, obviously, to the kind of nature of, of a builder. Um, but generative art is any art that has used uh, an autonomous system to uh, aid it in some way. Um, and so that means, theoretically, you could just be drawing it with your hand, but roll a dice. And that is the autonomous system that uh, tells you, you know, you do something different on a zero, something different on a one, something different on a two, etc. Um, but in, in this instance, we're using a computer to do the art. So uh, we can get really, really complex things by having uh, a computer kind of choose certain things and do them randomly. Um, and that's, that's generative art in the, in the raw. Um, and then the website that I've built, Generative Artistry, um, I've, I've kind of tried to break down a lot of the, the building blocks and, and the hurdles when people get into generative art. Um, there are a lot of kind of big libraries out there, but they kind of assume that you have direction and that you know what you're wanting to do. Uh, so in this instance, I just kind of take things a little bit slower and, and break them out piece by piece. Uh, can cool. I mention how nice it is that, so if you go on Tim's website and you scroll through a page, he executes the functions he's running on the left-hand sidebar. It looks fantastic it's so clear it's so cool yeah so so this is this is part of a, a slightly bigger project that i will release this weekend so last weekend i guess for everybody listening Ooh. i'm putting myself on the chopping block there to to release it but <laughs> uh, i i recently did a few conference talks on generative art and the the way that i wanted to to talk about it and present it to everybody um, was a little bit different. I think when a lot of people want to talk about generative art, there's a few really big pitfalls that you can go into. Um, and those pitfalls are essentially just saying, here's a bunch of stuff that I did. Um, and, and it's just very, very common. You know, you say generative art is this, and then here's examples of it. Um, but in this talk, I really wanted to break down and show people how they could do it and how uh, when you look at some of these artworks, they look so complex and so... Uh, convoluted but in reality it tends to be that the code is is making them look that way but it's it's a lot less harsh so uh, I, I call it tutorial markdown it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time actually um, but when when we read tutorials on anything really you kind of find that a lot of the time there's really big code blocks um, and you'll kind of read the code block and then maybe you'll add it to your file and then you'll go to the next code block and you add it. Um, and I think when you're following along, I don't know if you had the same experience in, uh, in school or anything like that, you just kind of want to skip to the end and go, well, okay, just give me the, the final example. Um, 100%. Yeah. yeah, and you don't really want to take the time writing out each individual step. Some people do that. Some people are, are good at... Uh, that level of self-discipline, but that is definitely not me. Um, so yeah, with Tutorial Markdown, it, it's kind of a, a small set of extensions on, on Markdown, which you'd use to write a 
a blog post or something like that. Um, but it, it kind of tells the editor, hey, like execute this code. And so in generative artistry, I mean, I hope everyone checks it out. I'm sure there'll be a link in the, in the show notes. Uh, I keep a, um, uh, a code editor. I'm using the Monaco Microsoft's uh, code editor. I think it's the same one that they use in code, but a kind of web version of it. Uh, and an iframe. And as you scroll through, yeah, we run each individual step of the code. And So what your side project that you were releasing this weekend, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, is going to do is make sure that once you hit a waypoint on the page, it executes the code within that um, block. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, That's so cool. Like, I think that to like help to visualize this, go to generative artistry when you have a chance. (laughs) Like Tim and Chris are saying, as you scroll down, you have the tutorial on the right-hand side that's just written out, all the code blocks are there. Um, their syntax highlighted like within the page. And then on the left is this code block that is executing the code that you see directly below it in a canvas. But you're saying that's an iframe? So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a code editor and an iframe that runs the code. Um, and yeah, the, the benefit of, of having this system is, I guess when, when you write code and when you learn to code, but as, I mean, especially when you're writing it, you don't write in giant blocks and you don't write like you would a story from top to bottom. Uh, instead, you kind of go like, oh, I'm doing something on line three now. Now I'm doing something on line 20. And now I'm adding a variable right back at the top of the file on line one. So I'm, I'm trying to make that process a little bit more understandable for people. So the tutorials that I've been writing, I can actually explain... Uh, in, in much nicer detail, the thought process going behind developing something as opposed to just jumping straight to the the final product. And that's so nice because I feel like when I write tutorials, a lot of the times I have to have like six different code pens to show you an example of what that part of the tutorial is supposed to demonstrate. So you can like kind of go and play with it. And this is sort of built in. You see it changes as you hit the point on the page that it's supposed to change. It's like a super cool idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd actually pitched this to CodePen, and I guess we just didn't really have the time to do it at the time. I kind of, you know, I still hope that it'll go out there. Uh, you know, there's definitely room in the world for a product. Um, but then my goal with this is just to have like an open source uh, version of something like that. So, I mean, maybe they can use that. That's super so cool. cool. So I'm curious, how did you go from headless Chrome to generative artistry? What was the process uh, in between there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, uh, I mean, at the time, of course, headless Chrome, I was kind of looking into uh, taking screenshots of pages uh, and pens at CodePen. Um, generative artistry, I kind of wanted to take a step back this year with my side projects. Um, in the past, I'd done a lot of things that were a kind of one-off. Like I would sit and I would work on something and I would release it out into the world and I would go, woo, this is awesome, you know. Uh, it's out there and it's... You had some really cool ones. There's like Elevator JS. There's little like GitHub corners that has a little wavy animation. I feel like a lot of side projects that people have heard about, like they don't realize that you've built them. I've uh, made a lot, of, a lot of different stuff. And then this year, my, my goal kind of shifted. I, I decided that... Uh, when I make a project, I want to make something that I can maintain over a different period of time or that I can, uh, maybe if I find like, oh, I have a few hours on my hand, I can look at what projects need what and, and add something to them. So I was looking for more uh, extendable projects, I guess, uh, which is, I don't know. Ooh, I, I feel be careful. Like, You're asking for like responsibility and open source. <laughs> uh, I've already got too much of that. 
Um, but yeah, that's exactly it. So, so generative art is pretty much the reason that I got into development in the first place. Um, I saw a few things that people have made, some kind of interactive Canvas experiments, and this was like right on the, the early days of Canvas, and, uh, and thought, well, I want to I make these things, and they are a fantastic way to get into development. You, know, you, you don't have these lofty goals like you have with building a kind of big website. You just have to make something and make it look you know, you're your own audience, ultimately make it look satisfying to you. And then you've kind of finished, I guess. Um, and at the same time, and, and this is what in the, uh, the talks that I've been doing called generative art speed run, um, I kind of found that I would break down the whole process of making something complex into individual pieces. Um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the, the slides of that section, say, like, here are the actual things that I've learned here. It's like I've used for loops or I've used uh, closures or I've used uh, like I've learned some canvas things. I've learned a bit about Bezier curves. Mm. And as you keep making these small things, you're just adding to your tool belt, which I guess tools day kind of matches up. <laughs> um, and as your tool belt gets nice. bigger and bigger, you ultimately become a better and better engineer, which is, I guess, what it's all about. That's really cool. I like that story too. Um, so I've seen you speak about generative art and like do the generative art speedrun talk. And it's really interesting how you just break everything down and you talk about like your inspiration and kind of like build it up from very basic pieces like lines, circles, and then it becomes this really interesting, colorful um, piece of art. And that's what you've now built on a website like a static website has this kind of same experience so that's that's pretty cool yeah that's the goal i mean it's funny everybody really learns in a different way some people learn fantastically from podcasts some people learn uh really well from videos in the the kind of coding education space there's a lot of interesting things you know you have uh, websites like codepen and glitch where people are sharing their code straight out to everybody um and then you have some tools that are kind of uh, video, like interactive video coding. Um, there's people that do things on YouTube and Twitch. Um, and, and those are also great. You know, they, they kind of show the process of somebody. Um, but my learning is, is very kind of traditionally blog posts, which I think a lot of people are. So I wanted to make that, you know, blog posts haven't really changed that much in the last, I don't know five or six years in, in the coding space, you know, it's kind of code block words, code block words. So adding a little interactive component to that is, is really nice. Um, in, in generative artistry, when you don't understand a section, you can kind of scroll backwards and the, co the code will undo itself. So you could scroll up and down between two pieces, uh, seeing the difference between the two and, and ultimately kind of using that to aid in your understanding of what you're trying to build. What was the most challenging part of building that um, sort of tool set for that sidebar code? That's a good question. Um, there are a few elements to it. And, and now that I've been rebuilding it, because the first one was, was pretty scrappy, uh, when you build something like this, you kind of are creating a new syntax that exists. And I think, as everybody knows, uh, when you create something, you kind of think of how it's going to work. But once you start using it, you kind of learn that that's not necessary. So initially, I, I had like a lot of extra things kind of saying, I mean, ultimately, 
you had to break down like what is the the process of me coding things into actions. So when you're coding something in an editor, the few actions that you do, there's actually really not that many. You're either uh, inserting code into a certain area and, and kind of pushing the code that was there down, or you're replacing code in a certain area, or you're appending code at the end. So once I was kind of able to understand that those are really the only actions that you take in an editor, uh, and for example, deleting code is essentially replacing with nothing. Um, uh, once I was able to have those steps, it kind of became very clear that I could just kind of append code blocks with uh, little data attribute tags saying, hey, add this, do this, do this. Um, and then the next step was making a component for the editor to understand uh, what it's told to do. Um, thankfully, the Monaco editor by Microsoft is just really, really nice. It has a really nice API. Um, Hopefully in this new version, I'm kind of trying to make that part interchangeable, but maybe not for version one. Um, so yeah, having me be able to send a little object to the editor saying insert at this and replace from line one to five, uh, that was one of the components. And then the final one was um, getting it to run in an iframe, which I, I kind of thought, you know, ah, oh, they're going to be some funny security things here because ultimately you're kind of doing an eval. Um, but in this instance, it's like you're only really hurting yourself. There's no extra code in there that anybody else is going to run um, unless they type it in themselves. And then you, you know, oh, I, you know, DDoSed myself. Cool. It's not a bit, not so much of a big deal. So kind of getting those pieces to all play with each other nicely. That was definitely the bigger task. Well, I'm kind of like poking around your code page so, right now. I have a question about that. Like, can't you just type in whatever code you want into that code block and it executes on the site? So you can also do that, yes. Um, so the code block, uh, I wanted to make it so uh, the code runs as you scroll through and executes, but at the same time, you don't really feel afraid editing that code. Um, so on the site, it's not really a, a feature that I pointed out too much, but you could say edit a variable, and then there's a little arrow there which will get the code in the top and get it to run in the iframe. Um, but that's no different to getting somebody to run something in their console, really. Um, there's no real like API keys or anything that you can steal. Uh, the, the iframe is sandboxed to a degree, um, but it still uses post message to kind of pass that back and forth. I mean, if somebody knows that there's a security thing there, <laughs> let me know, I guess. Um, I, I kind of have the experience working at CodePen to know that, um, you know, if somebody wants to write an endless loop and crash their browser, they always will do it. Um, but that's not really on us. It's on them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I just have like a more general question. You're one of the people that I know that just constantly is creating things. You just have so many side projects. You're constantly like ideating um, like different small and now larger side projects, which I think is really cool to see that evolution. Um, how do you find inspiration or where do you come up with these ideas? I'm sure this is something that you get asked all the time, but I'm just so curious here about how different makers come up with their ideas for projects. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'd be curious to ask a ton of people that as well. Uh, I'm just going to my to-do list now. There are 55 ideas in the idea section at the moment. Wow. Wait, so where do you keep your to-do list? Uh, in an app called Todoist. 
I think I, I made the change to that a while ago. And now I kind of have just a lot of things in there. Um, and, and it kind of ranges. I try to order them, I guess, based on things that I like the most and things that I uh, think are a good idea but just don't have the time for. Uh, so, for example, in there I have a, I have a repository on GitHub at the moment where I do various, uh, like, 90s cursor effects. And so in the to-do list, uh, uh, in my to-do list is an app saying, like, hey, create a website for these uh, so people can get them easier. You know, at the moment, they're on a GitHub repository. I have Mosquito.js, you know, that annoying noise that mosquitoes make. I, I would like to make something oh, God. that, you know, ee- I don't know. Are you going to play that in our office for me? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just a bunch of kind of different things on there. Um, some of them are bigger. I, you know, here's one, country slash travel palettes. It's like, oh, maybe just collect like a, a palette of colors from each place that I travel around. Uh, and it kind of just kind of expands and expands and expands. Um, so I guess when I have an idea, I write it down. And then taking action on those is, is really based on uh, what time, how much time I have. Um, if I don't have much, I'll try to do smaller, much smaller projects. Uh, if I have a lot of time, I'll kind of take on bigger things. Um, but then again, this year, the goal was to, to have a few set projects and just slowly expand on them. So that's what I'm trying to work on at the moment. Um, I also have a, a, a tiny letter that I send out each month. That's like what Tim did. And there's only a handful of people, I think a few hundred subscribe to it, but it definitely keeps me accountable to a, a certain degree, which I really like. Uh, so if you are subscribed to that, you kind of get, that's definitely a little plug of myself, you get uh, like, oh, I made three new blog posts for generative artistry. I added um, five things to, I have a website called inspiring.online that is just, uh, when I see a cool project, I just add it onto that. I added five things to that. Uh, and then there's a subsection of, of people that have, um, maybe committed code to repositories that I have or uh, in, in what I've kind of found lately with the generative art is I'll see tweets of people saying like, oh, I did your tutorial and then I expanded on it and now you can see this. Um, I, I just recently added, if you, if you scroll to the bottom of a post on generative artistry, uh, a link that is to a new pen on CodePen using the Prefill API. So when you when you click that, it'll take you into CodePen and you'll have the pen kind of nicely in the page. Um, I like this little uh, That's art very border. Cool. Pardon? It's very nice. I, I like the little paint border. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd put it in a nice frame, uh, make it all... And the favicon nice. changes every time you refresh the ah, page. Ah, yeah. So that's, so like that's a, a good example of, of this project kind of being extensible. I kind of found myself uh, one afternoon going, like, I have 45 minutes to do something, um, and, and the website doesn't have a favicon. It was kind of sitting in the issue thing, and I thought, oh, I wonder if I can do uh, a, a generative favicon. And it turns out you can. Uh, that's a cool little thing, a little tidbit, really. Uh, you create the favicon element in the page, um, and you create a canvas, and then you draw something on the tiny canvas, and then uh, export it into that favicon. And so, yeah, as you browse generative artistry on your, de- I guess I should mention that the interactive tutorial part is only on desktop. Um, if you go to it on on mobile, you'll just have a regular tutorial. There's just not enough screen space to fit in an editor and an iframe and a, a bunch of text. Uh, but yeah, you'll see that the favicon will will change a little bit each time, which I thought was fun. It's very cute. 
I mean, that's the whole kind of thing that could just be completely torn out and put into its own extra project and say, hey, it's generative favicons. Uh, get your favicons. I don't know. You can just keep, you can just keep going with it. <laughs> I love it. And the newsletter is really cool. Uh, I'm one of your hundreds of subscribers, whatever you <laughs> Tens of hundreds. Um, yeah, tens of hundreds, thousands, millions. Uh, it's cool to like see what you're working on because it's kind of inspirational. And it's like, oh, cool. Like, my buddy Tim's like building this and that. Like, I did something this week too. And it just feels more like a little community where I'm constantly being inspired by other people that are also makers in this industry. Yeah. So I like I've, it. I've a had lot. a couple of people say, hey, I want to do this too. I want to do this too. And I'm, I'm hugely positive about that. I mean, one email a month is not that big a deal, but it's also just nice to see the, the rate at that other people work. Um, and yeah, just also being, I, I've kind of starting, I've been starting to question a little bit lately this idea, and, and I'm, uh, I'm a victim of it where when we write code that we open source a lot of the time, and for me, in this case, 100% of the time, uh, I do it behind closed doors uh, and then kind of eventually make the, the GitHub repository public. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we kind of have this big idea of like open source being a full open thing, but uh, oddly enough, everything I do has been private. So I've, I've kind of mentally been trying to overstep that hurdle of like, what if I create a public repository that has something that's broken? Like, sure, it has no value to people, but the value is, is being able to see it progress a little bit more. Um, but for the time being, I'm using that newsletter as a, here's what I'm working on. Here's proper examples of it. So I don't know, something to ponder. I do the opposite where I always just make public repos because I'm only paying for like the five private repos thing. <laughs> and I get the weirdest messages because of they it. They actually like, changed I... it from five. That's that's it's now unlimited if you have the lowest tier. They did that like two years ago. Oh really? Oh yeah. My God. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Am I crazy? <laughs> We're like, wow. Is this announced somewhere? Uh, yeah, <laughs> ages ago. I actually used to use I used to use that five limit as a as a thing to not let me have too many projects, and now they took it away, and I have way too many private projects. Whoa! Wait, I feel like crazy right now because I didn't know that. <laughs> there, you go, there you go. That was honestly so a really I have long unlimited? time ago. Yeah. Wow, you're right. Okay, so I think in my head it was five for it used to be five. till now, till this moment yeah. in my life. Um, but I get like really weird messages. Like I, I uh, bought the domain keto.nyc. and so oh I started building a app, a website for it, where I was like just messing with like it's basically just really ugly right now because it's in it's the super works. ugly. Oh my goodness! It's <laughs> <laughs> a uh, <don't> website shame. <laughs> He hasn't seen it. That's why you said that. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm just like putting recipes in and like playing with Gatsby and whatever. Um, so someone messaged me like, oh, are you doing keto? Like I blah, blah, blah. And like started talking to me about it. I used to have my public goal, like uh, open source goals respo where it was like, I just wanted to for transparency and accountability, just put all my goals like that I was doing throughout the week, things I was building um, on GitHub and I would have people message me all the time. Like you have a typo in your personal goals repo. <laughs> it was so weird. It's a, so I, I mean, I, it sounds yeah. like something that <laughs> I should walk, you know, I should try to better myself with. I still have that like mild, uh, what's, what's the word? Like anxiety of, of broken things 
that I own being public, but maybe I'll maybe think, I'll take yeah, a step just, after this. After this. The best gift I ever gave to myself as a developer is to not be a perfectionist. It's like specifically for open source and side projects. Like I just feel like I'm building something. I haven't announced it. It's just like a little work in progress. If you're following it, then that's cool. But I'm just going to like keep doing my thing. Like I'll have like four commits that are the same thing. Plus, plus, you know, it's fine. All right. <laughs> just push it out there. Yeah, push it out there. <laughs> All right. Make that the takeaway from the, the podcast. The takeaway, like, push, just push it out there. Just push it out there. Just push it out there. Um, thank you so much, Tim, for being on the show. I feel like this was a really cool episode to hear your insight into side projects and to hear more about generative artistry. Um, if you want to find Tim on the web, where do you want people to find you? Um, I guess my website is tholman.com, T-H-O-L-M-A-N.com, and you'll be able to see from there, I guess, all the rest of my links and, and projects and things like that. Feel free to open a pull request or reach out. Always welcome. <laughs> and if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's T.W. Holman on Twitter, T-W-H-O-L-M-A-N. Um, and you can get the links to all this stuff from that or just go to tholman.com. Um, it's been a joy having you on the awesome. show and it is an absolute joy to work with you as well. So thank, uh, you, thank you for everything. I'll see you, um, uh, the, I'll see you next year. Yeah, right? For the annual Tim Holland <laughs> extravaganza. <laughs> Three-time All-Star. Um, I do want to give a last thank you to our sponsor for this episode, which is Datadog. Again, if you want to get your free t-shirt and free trial, your free dashboard, it's at datadog.com slash toolsday. That's D-A-T-A-D-O-G.com slash toolsday. And I also want to shout out to our um, forever patron, Webflow, who is just so kind and has been such a great supporter of the show so thank you so much webflow that's all we have today if you like this show please leave a review a positive sparkling five-star review preferably on <laughs> itunes or tell a friend about the show that's like the best gift you can give us to spread the word um and yeah we'll see you next time <laughs>